Welcome to Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. I'm Christy Graham. Today, I'm honored to have Joni Biker joining me, who is the Samaritan's Purse Country Director in Liberia. She has worked with Samaritan's Purse for more than 10 years and served as the Country Director for just four months. So thank you, Joni, for joining me. Thank you very much. Um, Can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to work with Samaritan's Purse? (laughs) Yeah. um, I grew up on a farm in Iowa, so I'm a farm girl at heart. And from a very young age, like I would spend hours wandering through the grove of our farm, pretending I was a missionary in Africa, looking for people to tell about Jesus to. And so from a very young age, the Lord put Africa on my heart. Hmm. Um, And I had a a relative that was a missionary in West Africa, and every time he would come home, I wanted to be in the front row, hear all the stories, see all the pictures, um, and just soak it all up. And the older I got, uh, the more I realized and saw more presentations from missionaries around the world and said, you know, they're very talented people and they have a lot to do, but they don't necessarily know how to tell the story well. Hmm. Every presentation started to look the same. Here's my house. Here's the landscape. Here's the person I work with. Um, But I knew there was more. And so I really had a passion to be able to tell the story of what God was doing on the mission field. And so I went to school for uh, photography and photojournalism, Hmm. and that's where I started. And I was in West Africa with a, another mission organization when I encountered Samaritan's Purse and the team members there and really loved the mission statement of Samaritan's Purse and the work that they were doing. And shortly after that, um, I had been in Liberia, and Liberia just captured my heart from the very beginning. It was shortly after the civil crisis, and I just wanted to be a part of the rebuilding aspect, whether that was physically, spiritually, emotionally. And so I was looking to return to Liberia full-time when Franklin Graham committed to rebuilding the African Bible College, and they needed someone to host teams and visitors for six months as construction teams came to rebuild this school, and that was 11 years ago, and I haven't left. Wow. So is that how the work started in Liberia? So the work started from the civil crisis. Um, Yeah, there was a civil crisis from 1989 to 2003. There was three separate wars within that 14-year period, and about 250,000 people were killed in Liberia. And so Samaritan's Purse came in um, after the peace treaty was signed in November 2003 and established the office, um, initially working with child soldiers, the former fighters, doing rehabilitation programs with them, and now we've broadened that scope um, a lot over the years. How did the Ebola outbreak change your team's focus in mm-hmm. 2014? Oh, Ebola was um, something that really came out of nowhere. Um, Ebola had not been in Liberia before. Uh, There was a lot of constant mysterious deaths happening in nearby Guinea, and nobody could figure out what it was. And when that hit Liberia and it spread like wildfire, it hit an urban area for the very first time in history, no one knew how to respond. Um, Not only, you know, players, you know, at that point, MSF, Doctors Without Borders, was the only organization that could and knew how to respond to Ebola in the world, and they were stretched thin. Mm -hmm. And so they were coming to us saying, please help. And at that point, I mean, it was a huge decision at that point for Samaritan's Purse to decide, are we going to engage in this? 
And from our side of things, we couldn't say no. Mm-hmm. This is our family. You know, we've been working um, with these people for, at that point, you know, 11 years. How can we turn our backs now? I mean, we're the good Samaritan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we stepped in and, and helped fight that battle in West Africa. And um, it was incredibly challenging. But it, it devastated the whole country. Um, it impacted absolutely every single person um, somehow in some way. And the gains that we had seen over the last 10 years just disappeared. Hmm. Um, and it was like setting things back all over again. Um, the health system, I think there was over 800 healthcare workers that um, were lost during the outbreak. And so now you've got an already poor health system and it takes a hit like that and it just has to start all over again. Um, so since 2014, 2015, we've been primarily focusing only on Ebola survivors hmm. and those um, directly impacted by Ebola. Now that could be certain communities that lost a tremendous amount of people. It could be, um, you know, working with widows or widowers uh, who now all the responsibility is on their shoulders and how do they move forward? Not to mention um, the trauma. The trauma is huge. Um, And it was for us. Hmm. You know, something that I never fully understood before Ebola was when you would talk to our staff they would reference their life as normal day, as in before the war mm. and after. And that was their critical point. That was their critical incident. And now mm. we reference our lives as before Ebola and post Ebola. Like mm-hmm. that was our critical point in our lives. And so even for ourselves going through that outbreak, it was it was very traumatic. I mean, it's not uncommon for most everyone in America to know, you know, about Kent Brantley and Nancy Wrightball. I mean, these were our dear friends mm-hmm. and coworkers and colleagues. And to, you know, watch them get sick and to wonder how in the world did that happen? And if they got sick, who's next? And then that fear of, could it be me, you know? And, and but at the same time, still needing mm-hmm. to show up each day mm-hmm. and try and stop this outbreak. Like, it was incredibly difficult. So that trauma was... Um, key for us, but I think it helped us understand what the Liberians were going through. Mm -hmm. And so one of our programs that I just absolutely love, um, we call it Restore, and it's a trauma healing program, (laughs) and it contextualizes the grief cycle in a way that helps them to understand. Um, Because what we have learned over the years is that Liberians don't necessarily grieve well. They don't Mm -hmm. know how to grieve, and so they're carrying around all of this emotional weight, um, never fully understanding the power of Christ and that you can lay it at his feet and how he can give you hope for a new beginning. And so this program, um, we just continued to build on it and scale it larger and larger. And what we're finding is that we initially started this program because we thought the trauma from Ebola was the critical incident. And what we're finding is that there's so many layers underneath from the civil crisis of Mm. trauma that was never dealt with. And so it's just been a a really amazing um, program to be a part of, uh, to watch people, you know, being so incredibly hard-hearted at the start. And there's a, one of the key lessons is forgiveness. And we talk a lot about if you don't forgive someone, it doesn't hurt them, Mm -hmm. it's hurting you. 
Mm-hmm. It's like you're carrying them on your back and it's just weighing you down. And we will sit on that lesson for months. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's amazing to see the transformation that happens mm-hmm. um, through our beneficiaries. Like it's just so encouraging. And so that's one of our, our key focuses is this trauma healing um, program. Um, and then we've done a lot of, you know, livelihood interventions for Ebola survivors. Like how do they now, how does a woman who never was making money before Ebola and her husband dies, how does she now take care of all these children? How does she feed them? How does she pay for their school? All sorts of things. So we've been doing a lot of livelihood interventions. Beekeeping is one of them. Um, We've introduced beekeeping, and and it's just been a great success. It's a very, you know, low-input project, but a high outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's been exciting to also see, you know, the physical side of things improve at the same time. Um, so it, yeah, it changed our office completely Hmm. and we focused solely on Ebola survivors for four years. And then this year is the first year that we've opened it back up to the most vulnerable in the communities that we're working in because there still is, we're still riding the wake of the civil crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, and so now you kind of have a double wake in Mm -hmm. a way, you know, the civil crisis and Ebola, and we want to be able to come alongside of, of both of those. During the Ebola break, outbreak, I just have to ask, you know, we can watch Facing the Darkness and kind of get a glimpse, but how did your team show up every day? You know, living in fear, watching your friends get sick. How, how did you keep going? <laughs> we barely did, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, it was, a, I mean, a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. That's what it came down to. And you were bombarded with... I mean, I have never felt so much fear in my entire life, mm-hmm. um, paralyzing fear. And that was the frustrating part. You mm-hmm. know, looking back at it, you just get so frustrated at yourself that you let it paralyze you mm-hmm. in certain times. But honestly, um, I'll never forget most days, all we could say to each other is look at each other and just remind each other, Jesus is Lord. Hmm. He is still on that throne no matter what is happening around us. And right now, absolutely everything is falling apart and it's getting closer and closer and closer to us. And we don't know what's going to happen today. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know if we're going to be able to get out of this country. Mm-hmm. We don't know who's going to get sick. We don't know if Kent and Nancy are going to make it. <sighs> He's still on the throne. Mm-hmm. And we have to keep telling ourselves that. And then we have to keep, we had to keep reminding ourselves that like we're a part of this, you know, like, we are going through the same thing that the Liberians are going through. Mm-hmm. So how do we serve them through that? Mm-hmm. And we'd never been in that position before. Mm-hmm. You know, we've always come in after or, you know, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden we were going through it with them. Mm-hmm. It was hard. And so it probably bonded you even more. And now with your work f- coming forward, you have that, you went through it together. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There is a very strong bond with those of us that were there and went through Ebola together. Um, I mean, I will never forget the day we were evacuating um, and the worst, even as scared as I was, even as traumatized as I was, and I knew I needed to go, seeing my staff Mm -hmm. on the side of the road as we drove away with tears running down their faces not knowing if I'm going to see them again, not knowing if they're going to make it through the outbreak. That was just the worst, Um, Mm -hmm. very hard. And so 
the reunion mm-hmm. after that, I mean, God protected us. Nobody, I mean, not a single Samaritan's Purse staff member contracted Ebola. Like working through the entire outbreak, working in the units, working. Mm-hmm. Um, none of their family contracted Ebola. I mean, it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle of how God protected our national team that was left behind and continued to fight um, until we could return and, and continue to bolster their efforts. So, yeah, it was an amazing testimony. Um, mm. But, yeah, when we were able to come back and reunite, it was quite a celebration. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. Can you share, um, how does your work seek to meet the physical needs while sharing the gospel? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> for us in you know, as Samaritan's Purse, as an organization, first and foremost, we're seeking to meet those spiritual needs. And so every single project that we do is seeking to share the gospel, um, first and foremost. And, and the physical side of things is important, but that spiritual side comes first. Um, you know, if, if someone is completely um, at the bottom They've lost several family members. They've lost their husband. They've got eight kids at home not knowing how they're going to provide for them. You can come and sit next to them and tell them that Jesus loves them. But mm-hmm. if you're not doing something to help them move forward for that next day, they're not really going to sit and listen to you because they're, they're so wrapped up on how do mm-hmm. I feed my children this mm-hmm. next meal. So... I mean, everything that we do, it's coupled together. There's not a single thing that we do that it's not. Um, So some of the things that we're doing is we saw that um, no one had um, confidence in their leadership, in their communities during the outbreak. They didn't know who to listen to. They didn't know who to trust. So one thing that we're doing now is leadership training with community leaders so that, you know, if there is going to be some another crisis that hits their community, they're going to know how to respond. And it's amazing to hear that testimony of communities saying at the beginning of the project, 10% of them have confidence in their leader to 98% of them do. Mm. You know, it, it's a, a very encouraging thing. Um, you know, livelihood, um, sheep and goats and beehives and urban gardening, making sure that they can um, support their families, um, but at the same time sharing the message of Christ. Um, you know, working in the protection sector, you know, a, another byproduct of civil crisis is um, rape and mm-hmm. gender-based violence is rampant. And so you have these young, young girls in the rural areas that are victims of gender-based violence, and yet nothing happens to the perpetrator because it's a family friend. Mm-hmm. And so how do we come alongside of these victims? How do we um, build up the communities um, to know how to respond to these situations um, physically to make sure that everyone is taken care of but at the same time spiritually and emotionally as well? Um, so in every mm-hmm. aspect um, that we're working in, it just goes hand in hand. A-, a number of years ago, we asked ourselves this question, so what? If you tell me at the end of the year that our team, who works incredibly hard, built 25 hand-dug wells and they dug them 40 feet down deep and, you know, 35 villages have clean water, I'd say, great. So what? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't have eternal impact, so what? Mm -hmm. And so we take that very seriously. That's our passion 
in Liberia is to just continue to increase that kingdom because um, it's a spiritual battle mm -hmm. every single day. It's just in your face, and the devil's trying to come in and encroach and confuse and distort. So we're working as hard as we can against that. Mm. How do you um, stay grounded in Christ and keep yourself refreshed and renewed to be able to do that? Because like you said, it is a battle. And hearing your stories, I don't even know how you've stayed for over 10 years. How does the Lord sustain you? <laughs> That's a, a great question. Um, you have got to be—you have got to make it a priority hmm. and be disciplined. Because you are, like you said, and I said, battling every single day, um, because you are pouring out every single day, it's very hard to be fed. And you just can't mm -hmm. keep on at that pace. It's just impossible. Um, and so I have learned, like, I have got to make that number one priority, and I can't mess with those boundaries. Because hmm. when I mess with those boundaries, it honestly, it's a lot easier to fall. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to be tempted. It's a lot easier to get distracted on what the main thing is that day. Um, challenging each other each and every day. You know, I love... My favorite time of the day is the first 30 minutes of our workday hmm. and our staff devotions. And hmm. we don't take those devotions lightly. I mean, hmm. it is like SP Bible School mm -hmm. <laughs> in Liberia. Mm -hmm. It is awesome. And we are digging in, and it is my number one desire as a country director that my staff are growing spiritually. Mm -hmm. um, if they're not growing spiritually, the work that we're trying to get done isn't going to get done. Mm -hmm. And to me... There's a huge difference about Liberians knowing about God and Liberians knowing God. Hmm. And so if we are not in His Word, if we're not constantly getting fed, it's just, it's, the work is not going to be as great as, as it could be. Um, and speaking to that, do you guys, do you go through a book of the Bible together? Is there a particular scripture that's been meaningful to you recently that you want to share? Yeah, so right now we're going through Romans, okay, verse by verse. Oh, wow. Um, and we are not rushing through it. I mean, obviously there's a lot to talk about in Romans. And really making it a, a Bible study, um, lots of discussion, um, you know, looking at the various doctrines that are in Romans, but not, you know, keeping the foundational things foundational. Mm -hmm. And how can we just continue to build that understanding on our staff? Because sometimes our staff, and us included, like we can read Romans— but not understand everything that it's saying um, or feel intimidated mm -hmm. trying to understand what it's mm -hmm. saying. So how about we just slow things down, literally verse by verse, section by section, let's talk about it. Um, and so that's been really good. Another um, great book that we went through as a team last year is called Saturate. Mm -hmm. um, and it just it's talking about how to make disciples in the everyday things of life. Sometimes we think about discipleship and people get you know, like we're supposed to evangelize and, dis and disciple, and all of a sudden it's like, I don't know how to do that. I'm not an evangelist. How I have to have this formalized plan in order to disciple, and that's not what it is. Like, mm -hmm. how do we do it just naturally in how we eat and mm -hmm. how we celebrate and how we live and how we interact with others? How can we do that? And so that really was an encouraging study for us to do um, nationwide for all of our staff across across the country. But this year, um, coming into this year, knowing I was going to you know, come in as country director, I was praying a lot that God would help focus me on you know, which 
verse should be our theme for the year. Um, we have a vision statement in Liberia, and that vision statement says um, that our vision is to be, see transformed lives through the gospel, first and foremost, a strengthened church through partnership, and improved communities through our work. So how do we do that well? Hmm. I mean, we're, we're going full speed trying to get this vision statement accomplished, but how do we do that well? And God just kept telling me, Psalm 34, verse 8, hmm. taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. And so that coupled with my um, desire to see our staff and myself grow spiritually, mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly believe that if we are taking the time, I describe it this way, I can describe the best meal I've ever eaten to you. Mm -hmm. And it may sound good, mm -hmm. but it's a whole different thing if you take up that mm -hmm. fork and you put it in your mouth mm -hmm. as well. Great. <laughs> and I want them, I gave them all a spoon. Mm -hmm. I said, put this on your desk mm -hmm. and be reminded that dig in. That's great. That plate of food is going to get empty, but you know what? You will never find the end of the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. So let's dig in. And I really believe that when that happens, our faith is just going to flow out of us more. Mm -hmm. And as a result, more lives are going to be transformed through the gospel. And when more lives are transformed through the gospel, it's automatically going to strengthen the church. Mm -hmm. And when the church is strengthened, it's automatically going to improve the communities. And so I really see it as one flowing into another, into another. Um, yeah, it gets me really excited. That is, that is a great analogy. Yeah. Taste and see it for yourself. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. if we're not doing ourselves, you can only be spoon-fed, you know taken from someone else. Exactly. So long. Um, well, thank you so much, Joni, for joining us and sharing your heart and Liberia um, and helping personalize a little bit more for us that haven't been there. In closing, is there a specific prayer request we can partner with you? Um, how can our audience really intercede for you and your team? Yeah. Um, we've gone through a lot of transitions mm -hmm. this year in our team. Um, I knew there was going to be a lot of transitions happening this year. I kind of thought they were going to happen over a longer span of time, and they've all kind of happened in a three-month period. And with that comes a lot of emotions, a lot of um, that kind of in-between time where a team really starts to gel and be able to move forward. And I, I feel like we're just starting to gel now and mm -hmm. move, getting traction to move forward. So I think just pray for team unity um, as we serve together, as we live together, um, seeking to fulfill this this vision statement. Um, and then pray for us as we push back the doors um, and challenge and strengthen the church. The church in Liberia is, um, I'd call it a mile wide, but an inch deep. Hmm. And they're getting very distorted, and it's getting more about a business and who can have the biggest church and not about outreach and sharing the gospel. And so our desire is to help refocus that and just help build the church going forward. And I just, if you could pray along with us on that, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much, Joni. I just love listening to your heart. could listen to you all day, but I just thank you for um, sharing what's, what's been happening. And I think, I know it helps me to specifically pray um, and, and the audience as well. So we appreciate it safe travels back and we thank you thank for joining you so us thank you